about death is uncomfortable. We think if we don't talk about it, it won't happen. Sadly, this isn't true. It's the only thing in life that we can be certain about. And because we don't talk about it, often we don't know what to do when we experience the death of a loved one. My name is Fiona Garvin and this is Deadly Serious Conversations. I'll be talking to a range of people who will share their knowledge and experience so we can learn how to make dying part of living. Today on the podcast, I'm speaking to Jackie Broman. Jackie is the Principal Solicitor and Director at TBA Law, and she specialises in the area of wills and estates. Jackie has many years experience of guiding families through the process of documenting their wishes to how their estate and belongings are dealt with after they pass away. It's a topic none of us like thinking about, but nonetheless, it is very important as dealing with the consequence of the problems of dying without any clear instructions can be very complicated and difficult for family members left behind. In this episode, we have a chat about some of the important aspects to consider when writing a will. Thank you, Jackie, for joining us today. You're going to have to forgive my complete lack of knowledge around this area. So like many people, I have buried my head in the sand and think that I'm too young to worry about a will just yet, which I know is a bit of a problem. And I know there's so much to learn about this topic, and we probably only have time to scratch the surface today over a cup of but I know most of us don't like to think about a time when we aren't going to be here. But what actually happens if you die without writing a will? Hi, Fiona. So happy to be here. So, yes, if someone passes away without a will, it's what is called intestacy. So the person passes away as an intestate. And each state in Victoria has a different set of laws about what will happen. But generally, uh, there's an order about where things will get divided up. So if there is a spouse and no children it'll generally go all to the spouse. If there is a spouse and children, it gets divided up in different ways depending on the state. The wife or the spouse is only entitled to up to a certain amount, again, depending on what state. So I'm in Victoria and the spouse is entitled to the first 450,000, which I think is decent, but that was only amended in 2015. So previously it was only quite a small amount. Okay. If there's no spouse and no children, it goes to the parents if the parents are still alive. So if you're thinking about a young person who might pass away without a will, it would go to their parents. If there are no parents, it goes equally to brothers and sisters. And if any of the brothers and sisters have passed away, it goes to their children. And only if they don't have spouse, children, parents, brothers, sisters, nephews and nieces, does it end up going to the government. Okay. So in short, if you don't have a will, it can be quite complicated. Yes, it can. And I think these days as well, so many families are blended families that it's not necessarily clear about who is in those roles even. Okay, very complicated. And so when it comes to writing a will, Jackie, what are some of the most important things to think about? So I suppose it depends on what area of life someone is up to. For those with children, 
who are minors still, I think the most important thing to think about is the guardians for those children. Yes. Um, so who's going to look after your children if something happens to you? And in thinking about that, well, who's also going to look after their money? Okay. So the executors are really important for everyone. So even for those whose children are all now grown up, um, so the people you traditionally think about as doing wills are people sort of beyond retirement, the executors in their will are often the most important people because they're the ones that have to carry out your wishes. They're the ones that have to keep the beneficiaries happy. They're the ones that actually have to do the doing. So you want someone who communicates well, who's very trustworthy, who won't cause drama in between people and will just move forward and get it done. That's, that's really the most important role. Okay. And just with the executors, is there any rules around who they should be or who they must be? Or, you know, can it be anyone? Can it be anyone in your family? Or is there any guidance around choosing executors? And how many must there be? (laughs) Um, So you can have up to four. And it's a process that we also work through when we're helping someone prepare a will. Um, We talk about the dynamics of various people. But no, you've pretty much got open slather on whoever it can be. So a beneficiary can also be an executor. So there used to be rules where there had to be a mark in between those two that doesn't exist anymore. So you can have anyone that you choose. It can be anyone in your family. It could be friends. It could be you can appoint professionals as well. So also know that even if you appoint someone, they can refuse to act when the time comes. So that's why we generally have pick a couple and a couple of alternates just so you've got plenty of options. Okay. Fabulous. And, and you sort of mentioned at the beginning there that writing your will, uh, you may want to revisit it a couple of times or depending on what stage of life that you're at. And is that the case that once you've written a will, it cannot be changed or do you have to do a new one or what's the situation as life changes with regards to your will? Yeah. So again, I suppose if you're doing a will with a professional, we try and take into account as many changes or circumstances as possible. So you'll get a long life out of your will, I suppose. But we generally recommend that people review their wills every three to five years. That doesn't mean with a professional, it means just pulling your will out and making sure that the people you've appointed are still alive and that it still does what you want it to do. Otherwise, there are a couple of situations where your will becomes invalid. And so you do have to remember to redo it if you've done that. So if you do a will before you get married and then you get married, any will prior to your marriage is usually invalid. So you have to redo a will after you're married. If you separate but don't divorce, it's a really good idea to do a new will then. If you separate and then divorce, it's not as crucial to redo your will because a divorce actually treats the ex-spouse as if they've died in your will. So your will's still valid. It just crosses out your spouse everywhere. Okay. So yeah, major events in your life is a good time to be reviewing your will. But otherwise, you know, I've had people pass away who still had wills from the 60s and the 70s and they've still worked. So (laughs) yeah, absolutely. I know that my experience of wills comes from the movies, so you'll please have to excuse this. <laughs> but I'm sure it doesn't actually happen like that, that the will is read on the day of the funeral. Where is the will kept? And is there such a thing as reading the will? And yeah, what happens around that? 
you're right. That's a very American concept and it comes from the movies <laughs> that um, there's a reading of the will and everyone sits around and gets it read. That doesn't happen in Australia. Only if we know that there's going to be some big issues in a family do we try and coordinate any sort of advice giving around the will. But in fact, a lot of people probably don't even look at the will until the death certificate arrives. And that can be four to six weeks after someone's passed away. I suppose the will is usually kept in the strong room of the solicitor who prepared it. So the executor has to find where the will is. So hopefully there's a copy of the will at home amongst the, the deceased's paperwork and they find the copy and it will have the solicitor's details on it. They call the solicitor, make sure it's still there. They get a copy of it. They come in and get some advice. We then make sure we have the consent of the executor to send a copy of the will to all the beneficiaries because it's not necessarily even the case that that happens voluntarily. Some executors will say, no, we want to manage that process or no, we want to wait to see who asks for a copy of the will. So again, it sort of depends on the circumstances, but people who are entitled to a copy of the will, the executors and the beneficiaries in the will, of course, but also if a person passes away with a will that broader people who are entitled to a copy are those people who may have been a beneficiary if the person had passed away without a will, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And I suppose the other thing that comes up in conversation around wills a lot is whether you can do your own. Is there anything that we should be aware of if you're writing your will yourself or what would you suggest? Yes. Look, will kits do work online wills do work. The difficulties that we come across when people do them themselves are that they've signed them incorrectly, that different pens have been used between the person signing them and the witnesses. So it's just important to know that you use the same pen because it shows that you're all in the same room at the same time. Oh, wow. Yes. And other difficulties that people make when they're making their own will. Someone else may have handwritten it for the person who then signed it, which could be an indication that the person didn't know what was in their will. So it's generally best to be actually handwritten or typed by the person making the will. And the other difficulty is that when people are making their own will, they try and use legal language which they should just completely avoid because they don't actually understand what, what it means. So if you're making your own will, best to keep it as simple as possible rather than try and use some of the legalese because you can get yourself caught that way. Yeah, a bit complicated. Wonderful. So Jackie, what is actually included in a will? Yes, so what your will covers if you pass away are what are called estate assets. So there are assets that we can own that are non-estate assets, such as superannuation and life insurance. They're quite often not paid into the estate. They'll be paid directly to beneficiaries. So you also need to make sure on those assets that you, you nominate where they want to go. Yeah. And other assets that aren't covered by your will are assets that are jointly owned with someone. So if you jointly own real estate with someone else, it doesn't go through the will. It automatically transfers to the person that you own the land with or bank accounts as well. If you're joint bank account owners, it'll automatically go to the other person who owns that bank account. So if you think about a couple, 
if one person in the couple passes away and most of their assets are joint, you probably don't even have to go through the will. Most of it will happen and go to the other person automatically. So it's usually when the second person in a couple passes away, you need to go through the will and, and the assets come in and get covered by it that way. Okay. Yeah, wonderful. Is there anything else that we should think about? Like, for example, is uh, your funeral what you would like for your funeral included in the will? Good question. So generally not. No. <laughs> a lot of people like to put some detail in the will about about it but I quite often encourage people not to because like I said earlier sometimes people don't even look at the will before the funeral yes now what is binding is whether you want to be buried or cremated so you can put that in the will and in fact if someone buries you and you said you want to be cremated or cremates you and you said you didn't want to be cremated it's actually a finable offense Oh, wow. Which is quite interesting. Yes. But no, instructions about your funeral are generally just wishes. So you can put them in the will, but know that they're not necessarily binding. Okay. And anything else that, that might go in the will that's worth mentioning? So I suppose coming back around to parents with young children and thinking about guardians, there's a few mistakes that I think parents make when they start thinking about this process. And if they had this advice up front, then maybe it'll make it a little bit easier. So firstly, in terms of guardians, parents often think that it has to be a family member that's going to be a guardian, you know, because family has an obligation to each other and, and all of that. But I generally think that parents need to think about their children's needs a little bit more and potentially... You might not live close to family. You might want your kids to stay in the same schools in the same area that you live in. So family might not be the best option. Uh, thinking about friends and close friends that you have, they may even have closer values to what you have in terms of raising kids. Um, so I do think that parents need to think a little bit more broadly other than family members to be guardians. And the other reason I think parents think about their family is that they don't want to burden friends financially. But I try and encourage parents not to think of appointing guardians as a financial decision. Because if both parents have passed away, there's usually, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars at least, if you think about life insurance, superannuation, equity in a home, for kids to be raised with. So then it comes down to setting up how the funds are held for the children and being sure that the guardians can access some of those funds while they're raising your children. So the funds aren't all locked away. They can actually be used for your edu the education and upbringing of your kids. Wonderful. Fantastic. So where can we find you, Jackie? Uh, so my firm is TBA Law. So tbalaw.com.au is a great place to start. My personal email address is there as well if anyone wants to contact me. But it's really a place where people can go to learn a lot because we've got lots of articles there, lots of downloads and lots of webinars. So it's a great place if you want to start your research. Yeah, I've actually been on it and I've seen some of the, the webinars. So they're wonderful. So thank you so much, Jackie, for sharing your knowledge and experience with us. It is something that none of us like to think about, but it can be very complicated and very messy if we, we don't have the will in place. It is certainly worth thinking about. So before we finish today, are you a tea or a coffee drinker, Jackie, or neither? Oh, no, definitely tea. <laughs> oh, tea. <laughs> uh, yes. 
like me, I'm a tea drinker, so it's unusual to find any particular type of tea. <laughs> uh, well, lately it's been green tea with some jasmine. <laughs> ah, very healthy. <laughs> yes, yes, no, not a coffee drinker at all. Ah, I'm, I'm surprised because I imagine lawyers like yourself work late into the evening and need a coffee fix to get through. But I'm sure Jasmine Tea will do the same thing. Yep, high on life. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been lovely chatting to you. You're really welcome. Thank you. Thank you.